Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roadie on the Horn podcast. Today is Tuesday, September 5th at time of recording. We have an awesome episode back again for you guys. Another podcast, another week. We've got some football news. Definitely going to be highlighting a lot of what's going on in week one of college football that we saw over the weekend, previewing what we'll see in the NFL this upcoming season. We got some kickoffs going on in the NFL this week. Super, super pumped about that. We'll also get into some thoughts on baseball and then our questions, as we always do, getting the outline in before I introduce my great friend and my awesome co-host, Donnie. Donnie, what's going on, man? Uh, not a whole lot today. Obviously, you know, we get a day off. Uh, RK gets practice canceled so we can meet at the normal time. An interesting, interesting development out of nowhere, but we'll take it. Uh, I'm feeling good, RK, but I'm really worried. How are you feeling? You know, I'm feeling great, actually. You did mention it, but over the weekend, I had a fun time with the Colgate Raiders. We went and played some paintball with our team. It was a fun time. We split into two teams, USA and Canada. Our team's pretty split. And the Americans came out on top, proud to say. Very proud of the of the performance by my fellow Americans in, in on the paintball course over the weekend with Colgate. So it was a really fun weekend. And uh, yeah, glad to uh, to hit on that at the start. But Donnie, let's get into business here. Roadie on the Horn podcast. We got some college football in the books. Not any of this fake week zero stuff. We got some real college football to talk about. And we had a hell of a game. Got to start with Colorado and TCU. Definitely yeah, just an incredible game all around uh, in what was, you know, an upset uh, to say, uh, you know, put it uh, in. In, in easy terms, but uh, Colorado ends up going on the road, knocking off TCU, obviously a team that was in the championship game a year ago, uh, had some really interesting performances on the Colorado side. Shooter Sanders, uh, 500 yards, four touchdowns at quarterback for Colorado, dominant performance for him. Also saw a really good game for freshman Dylan Edwards, who had four touchdowns total, three receiving, one rushing. That was obviously quite a performance. And also Travis Hunter, Two-way player, cornerback, had an unbelievable interception and also catching the ball, 119 yards receiving. Pretty wild stuff. Uh, obviously funny. He's playing for Deion Sanders, uh, a guy known for uh, being able to play both sides at, at cornerback and receiver at times uh, when he played, obviously. So definitely all the highlights uh, on the side of Colorado. TCU obviously put up a pretty good fight in this one, only losing by three. But nevertheless, it's Deion Sanders making all the headlines after week one. What was your impression of uh, of this one between Colorado and TCU, Don? Yeah, so I'm just going to preface this by saying going into the game, I really didn't know who was on TCU's team. Like, just being completely honest, it's an entirely different team pretty much than what we saw last year uh, in, in what was a really, really nice run. Obviously, different quarterback. Uh, it, it was uh, an incredible game, obviously. That's, that's the first and foremost part of all this. It's really interesting to see Coach Prime. Uh, after the game, he was very, very like emotional. You could tell that it really meant a lot to him. So he's bought in uh, even more than maybe some people would have initially thought. He's obviously a very passionate guy, but you know the Louis bags they 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 did their trick uh, against TCU. It was interesting, however, though. Uh, I do think we have to have a little bit of, as you would say, we have to have a little bit of pause here uh, on the Colorado football team because it, as mentioned, it's a brand new TCU team. Uh, Clearly, they I mean, they dropped from being a top five team last year to 17th in the preseason ranking. So uh, even the AP or or whoever was voting on this could they had no idea really how to project them. And again, uh, it's not like this is like it's not a massive, massive surprise, maybe because of the, the just sheer star talent on the Colorado team. But it is a massive surprise seeing Colorado actually do something relevant. And, and I think that may have taken over the storylines a little bit too much here. I'm going to be a little bit cautious until we see them week four against Oregon, week five against USC. After those two games, especially after the USC game, we should have an exact idea as to what we're looking at 
uh, with Colorado. I'm going to be a little cautious just for now. RK, you can, you can completely shit on me right now. Pardon my French. And I, I totally, I think it's reasonable to be, uh, to be very, very positive, optimistic about this Colorado team. No, I'm pretty much right in line with you on that. Definitely still some room for Colorado to prove, but uh, made some flashes when it happens in week one. Obviously, you get a lot of the headlines, and uh, we know Deion Sanders has a lot of eyeballs on on what he'll be able to do, uh, you know, now obviously jumping up from Jackson State. So you're right. We'll have to see him prove it against the big dogs in the Pac-12, uh, Oregon, USC. So, you know, we'll, we'll wait until we, uh, you know, can properly give enough credit, but definitely was uh, probably the game of the week one slate uh, between Colorado Colorado and TCU wanted to hit on that one. Also had a top 10 matchup go on over the weekend between Florida State and LSU, a rematch of last year's game that was really wild in New Orleans. They move over to play in Orlando for this one, and it was a pretty good game in the first half, but Florida State really pulled away in the second half, ended up winning the game uh, by uh, 21 points. I did not expect a three-touchdown win for the Seminoles, who bumped up all the way to number one in the country in the latest poll, which is pretty insane to think about, but really good game for Jordan Travis. Coming back to Florida State this year, four touchdowns passing over 300 yards, three of them going to Keon Coleman, the transfer from Michigan State. Uh, so that obviously helps out uh, some, you know, big time receivers in this game. Also had Johnny Wilson go over 100 yards for Florida State and kind of a quiet game for Malik Neighbors on the LSU side. Uh, one guy I pointed out in our college football preview show that I think could have a really good year in the SEC, but uh, relatively quiet. Jaden Daniels was solid for LSU, but uh, not good enough to, to come away with things in the second half. So uh, Florida State, you know, maybe a uh, you could say more impressive win than what we saw from Colorado, more dominant fashion. And, uh, you know, maybe the Knowles are actually back. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, obviously, uh, how long that kind of lasts for them playing an ACC play. They do need to go on the road to Clemson, who we'll touch on in a bit, who actually struggled uh, quite a bit in, in week one themselves. But um, seems like there's some potential here for, for Florida State to maybe do some damage. Uh, number one in the country already is, uh, is pretty wild. Not sure I would have expected that, uh, all things considered, though. Yeah, just in general, having the Florida State team in the top five feels really weird. But I actually want to talk about LSU. I was shocked to see them like not hand the ball off at all throughout the entire game. It was the Jaden Daniels show the entire time. And I mean, obviously, uh, very, very talented. You uh, you talked about him multiple times. Uh, we talked about him multiple times over the course of the Roth pod. But uh, I, I'm a little bit surprised just to see the, the total lack of like a traditional run game, uh, because it is important to not only give your quarterback a little bit of a break that he a workhorse absolute workhorse performance if he's you're running the ball 20 times also throwing the ball nearly 40 times in the game just to try to keep your team in it that's a little bit ridiculous to me but like can L does LSU not have legitimate running backs do they not have traditional running backs that can take the ball out of the backfield and score like that was that was so shocking to me to see them completely ignore it the entire game pretty much like not even the second half when they were falling behind it just felt like the entire game there was no real traditional run game and it was really surprising to me yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you on that point. Josh Williams uh, had was their leading rusher after Jaden Daniels, who had a solid year last year, nothing crazy, 500 yards, a couple touchdowns. But um, yeah, it's definitely a far cry from the days when they had Clyde Edwards-Elair with Joe Burrow or even going back further with Leonard Fournette, Darius Geis, um, you know, that kind of traditional LSU run game. Not as much the case, uh, at least in week one and, and early on for LSU. So um, yeah, definitely uh, a little bit concerning to, to see the uh, lack of effort from LSU. LSU in the second half after, you know, really playing a, a pretty strong first half, I thought. Um, so that'll be, uh, you know, uphill battle for LSU the rest of the way. Just hit on this game a little bit earlier, though. 
Clemson going down uh, to the Duke Blue Devils. This one was quite interesting. Uh, kind of a tough performance for the Clemson offense uh, in this one. Uh, obviously, this is another situation where uh, we can think back to the days when they had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence and, uh, you know, a tough year last year, a quarterback for DJ Uelangale, uh, and then kind of a tough start uh, in uh, what it will be probably his first full year starting for Cade Klubnik, who we saw at the end of year last year. Uh, just really couldn't get any kind of consistent offense going. Will Shipley tried his best out there had over 100 yards rushing himself but um, Duke really kind of came through with some big turnovers when they needed it and ends up winning by three touchdowns themselves uh, ended up storming the field a big upset against a team who was ranked in the top 10 so definitely I would say this probably goes down as the biggest upset uh, overall of week one uh, with Duke knocking out Clemson pretty handedly yeah I was so shocked to see just how poor uh, Dabo's team when they were pressing it on the field it felt like they could kind of like do whatever they wanted at midfield. They had all the space in the world. They were kind of chunking. It felt like they were moving the ball pretty well. Anything inside like the 30-35, it felt like it was a completely different game, which was really just strange to me. You would have kind of anticipated with like a Will Shipley out there, uh, one of the most gifted, talented players in all of college football. I think that's pretty fair to say at this point. Uh, I, I was pretty stunned to see how mediocre they were at the goal line. Obviously, you missed two field goals, one blocked, one just, uh, we can kind of sort of talk about it. I thought it was blocked. He may have just shanked it really bad. Um, but regardless, you know, special teams kind of important. Their special teams game was really bad. And also turnovers within the red zone is uh, you're not going to win games. You turn the ball over in the red zone. They did it at least twice, maybe three times. I could be mistaken. Uh, uh, it's at least twice. So uh, real surprising there. And again, like, I don't think I would have even imagined Duke competing in this game coming into it. Yesterday, I was thinking, you know, Clemson's favored semi-handily. It's not going to be too tough for them. It feels like that was kind of the opportunity for Clemson to go up there like, like a gimme game almost. But, you know, Duke definitely proved me wrong. Uh, Duke's defense is very resilient. And I mean, we have to give a little bit of credit to their offensive game, uh, which was completely Riley Leonard. Uh, Riley Leonard base, Riley Leonard forward, uh, which was, you know, not somebody that I was super duper familiar with maybe, but uh, really, really surprised to see him uh, kind of take over the game at times. He was making big plays, running the ball, uh, which, you know, if you get a guy that can take off and score a 45-yard rushing touchdown after avoiding tackles, like, props to him. So definitely, uh, shout-out to Duke. Really, really strong performance. And, man, you know, you love to see the upsets. Really just makes college football great. Already got a couple week one. Yeah, uh, echo everything you said there. Definitely a good performance for Leonard uh, running the ball. That was a heck of a rushing touchdown he had that that you referenced as well. Uh, let's wrap up our, our week one college football thoughts by talking about our two schools, Donnie, Iowa. They came out with a win over Utah State. Has started off good for Cade McNamara. Ended up throwing a couple touchdowns, including one to Eric All. Uh, and a couple of guys transferring over from Michigan. That was obviously positive to see. Typical Iowa fashion, not doing much in the second half offensively. Defense still kind of held their own. Uh, a couple late, uh, you know, offensive scores for, for Utah State. And they will take on Iowa State next week in the Cyhawk battle. Should be a fun one. And then for you, Donnie, Miami Hurricanes, they prove they're the real Miami. They they beat Miami, Ohio pretty handily. Pretty funny that those two teams uh, end up matching up and, and the U come out uh, pretty big winners uh, in that matchup. And they obviously have a interesting game coming up here in week two as they host Texas A&M, uh, another team who is ranked uh, Miami not at the moment. But uh, what did you see out of, uh, out of the Hurricanes uh, in week one um, that you can take going into AM this week yeah i don't know i felt like i mean obviously we talked about it last year when they're like losing the middle tennessee state and those teams like you gotta beat those those mid-pack low-end you know group of five or or even less than group of five schools and it feels like miami struggling so it's really nice to have a win there uh just under their belt see them actually put together some some solid performance but actually okay i want to talk about iowa because i think i and the main reason that they just 
didn't score. I texted you after the like the first possession of early in the first quarter. Sure. After after the offense had looked just magnificent, fantastic, amazing, and everything after that point was just horrific, horrific. So I'm gonna hand up. That's on me. Uh, I won't I won't text you about Iowa football offense the rest of the season. I'm not. Sure, I'm sure probably not gonna have to anyway. But uh, that's all. I'll take the blame for this one. I was expecting a big offensive performance, and and I I let you down. Yeah, the intro script went really well for Iowa. The the script they had months and months and months to prepare with those first two drives went really really well. And then when real football took over, they forgot how uh, offense works. So sounds about uh, right. Very classic, very classic Iowa. Uh, that's exactly what you get. You know, they probably should have won by more than ten points over Utah State at home, but that's what they did. And uh, yeah, like I said, uh, they'll take on uh, Iowa State uh, next week. Should be a fun one in Ames. They need to get revenge. They lost that game last year. It was so ugly. Uh, they need to end up winning that game to to get back on top in a rivalry that they own overall over the Cyclones. So uh, a couple of positive notes uh, from our two teams, Donnie, that was good to see. But let's get into our NFL preview, Donnie. This will be the bulk of our podcast today. Obviously, we're fired up. NFL coming back this week. Kind of a weird one, though. The Chiefs are playing the Lions. Like, are we really respecting the Lions enough to where they deserve this game? I guess so. Uh, you know, shout out to Dan Campbell. Uh, you know, I guess you, you you earned your spot here. We'll, we'll see if you can hang up against Pat Mahomes uh, and not get blown out in the first half uh, like I kind of hypothesize but nevertheless let's talk about the full season uh ahead donnie not just the first game let's start in the afc uh you know let's just kind of run through each division give some of our thoughts who we could see end up making the playoffs and, and making some deep runs let's start in the afc east i think this is a really strong division obviously we saw both buffalo and miami make the playoffs last year the jets with some big ads uh in the offseason most notably aaron Rodgers and dalvin cook should make for a little bit more fun season for the jets uh and then you still have the patriots who are kind of a wild card you know i don't think anybody is necessarily picking them to win this division but uh wouldn't necessarily stun me to you know see them win a couple games in a, in a team led by bill belichick um nevertheless so what are your thoughts on the afc east who do you think ends up winning this division uh when it's all said and done yeah i think you can pretty much single out that there's going to be two teams that make the playoffs from this division i would be very surprised to see that i don't think we're going to see three uh it just it seems like it's going to be too many cooks in the kitchen maybe and, and maybe maybe you know uh, we'll have some competition to the end. I would assume that we have at least three teams fighting for the top spot until the Bills pull away uh, somewhere like week 12, somewhere around there. Uh, but I would guess that it's the Bills year and then maybe the Jets sneak in as a playoff spot. I'm not necessarily like super high on it. I think that the Jets would probably end up being the, the back end uh, wild card team. So one of the last two spots, uh, almost assuredly, uh, I think that they're going to struggle to keep up with teams like maybe uh, the Ravens or Chargers who have a little bit lighter load to deal with. Um, at least in their divisions, I would think that, you know, definitely don't have to play the Patriots and the Dolphins and the Bills, uh, you know, the Jets, very, very tough uh, all the way around. But yeah, I, I would assume that we see two teams. I would guess the Bills win it pretty easily when it comes down to it. But uh, I'm going to buy into the Jets at this point. I'll give them like a 10 win season, this, the last wild card spot. Uh, that would be huge for, for Jets fans, I'm sure. Yeah, I think this is a really strong division, too. I do think it's probably the safe call to, to say that Buffalo ends up winning it. Uh, obviously, they had you know a pretty disappointing end of their season last year, kind of getting handed to them uh, against the Bengals in the playoffs. And uh, you got to make sure Josh Allen, obviously, is out there the whole season. I think that could be, obviously, very problematic with, with how much of an impact he obviously has uh, on this team versus a team like Miami, which uh, we've seen them. You know, Tua has been banged up at times, and the Jets, obviously, have a new quarterback coming in. And, you know, they were at least decent, you know, not playoff good enough, but at least decent 
it was Zach Wilson. So uh, I don't think that those teams are necessarily so, so far behind. I don't think either the Jets or Dolphins end up making any kind of deep run in the AFC. I think obviously the Bills are probably your best bet uh, at looking at that division in terms of an AFC contender. But uh, I'm pretty much right in line with you uh, in terms of, you know, this team getting two or three playoff teams in and uh, probably thinking that the Patriots are just on the outside looking in uh, as they were a year ago. All right, another strong division in the AFC, uh, AFC North, uh, Cincinnati. Obviously, they've been you know near the top of the AFC the last couple of years. Uh, Baltimore Ravens will get Lamar Jackson back. Uh, you know, weren't sure how long that saga was going to last, but he's under contract and and ready to play some football. Steelers and Browns as well. Uh, you know, respectable teams uh, nonetheless. So, uh, what are your thoughts on the AFC North? Do you think we could see a couple playoff teams out of this division as well? Yeah, I would assume the Bengals pretty much lock it up. Uh, it feels like they're kind of in the position to be the most consistent. Uh, always got to be afraid of Lamar Jackson's injury health uh, concerns. You know, uh, I would love to say that the Ravens are, are a prime competitor, uh, you know, even when the Super Bowl may be down the line, but uh, it all depends on Lamar Jackson's health. But I still think, you know, he'll play enough to where they're a playoff team. I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about the Steelers and the Browns because they're two teams that I really just have no – no, especially the Browns, but I can't really put my finger on what I expect them to do this year. Yeah, I'm a lot higher on the Steelers than I am the Browns personally, even though I'm not that high on Kenny Pickett. I think the Steelers roster is much more sound than the Browns is, uh, at least in my opinion. I do think the Steelers end up making the playoffs this year after missing it a year ago. Um, I, I think that they are maybe a little bit under the radar. I could see them having a, a really strong year this year, uh, even despite, you know, like I said, I don't think Kenny Pickett is a top 10 quarterback by any means, but I think we could see Najee Harris kind of bounce back a little bit, and I think that defense is pretty solid as well. Obviously, TJ Watt and Mika Fitzpatrick Patrick, I think they're two of the best players at their own positions uh, in the NFL. So I like the Steelers a lot. Um, I think the Ravens, it's going to be interesting to see them with Todd Monken as the new offensive coordinator. Maybe you get a little bit different flavor coming over from Georgia. Uh, you know, uh, the, you know, the college game, see how that translates with Lamar Jackson a little bit more. Um, but having said that, I like both those teams a lot more than I do the Browns. I was very concerned with how Deshaun Watson played last season, albeit at the end of the year and without a, a big gap. But I'm just really not all that high on the Browns at this point in time. Um, I could see them honestly, you know, having a pretty disappointing year and, and picking in the top five uh, or at least the top 10 next year. But um, that's just kind of my outlook. I could see maybe slight regression from the Bengals as well. Obviously, they've been near the top of the AFC. You know, how long can they kind of sustain that? Obviously, I like Joe Burrow and the receiving core they have there. But uh, maybe just a little bit of pause for me on the Bengals in relation to being, you know, an AFC favorite um, as they've been in years past. Um, but it's purely hypothetical. I think for years I've been <laughs> just kind of skeptical of this Bengals good run. So maybe just kind of waiting for it to end at some point uh, and who knows if we'll see that this year so I think it is a really strong division I think we could see potentially three playoff teams like I said I think the Steelers get in uh, and then I could see the Ravens and, and Bengals really kind of you know being top uh, wildcard contenders at, at the least if not taking the division themselves there really interesting like I, I don't know it's something about the Steelers like it's really hard to especially Kenny Pickett it's really hard to project just in general for sure because uh, last year like some games it felt like he was he was really really good and he was like doing crazy things and I, you look at the stats and you look at the actual production it's like he didn't really do a whole lot like passing the ball even when it felt like he was doing he, he was like carrying the ball on the field it was a lot less through the air than I anticipated it would be like looking back so uh, I just it's really like maybe Kenny Pickett is the hardest quarterback to project for th this upcoming year like he he might be the most difficult player to really like he could have a great year it wouldn't even shock me really at this point but I, I just it's so hard to actually know and I mean obviously the receivers too like I if George Pickens is great like Kenny Pickett's gonna be great right like that's kind of how that works so yeah um 
could be could be super fun. I, I root for the Steelers, man. You got to root for the Steelers. That fan base, immaculate. Mike Tomlin, immaculate. Just, just yep. come on. Well, I, yeah. I'm rooting for the Steelers this year. I, I hope that, you know, just just selfishly, I'm really hoping it's the Steelers and not like the Dolphins or, or something like that. Nobody wants, to, nobody wants to see that. I want to see Mike Tomlin in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm, I'm spot on with you. I think those weapons have a high ceiling. You guys like Pickens, guys like Harris, Pat Fryermuth, Deontay Johnson. Like, they could be really good, but they also have been prone to be incredibly inconsistent at times, too. Like that year for Najee Harris, I did not think he was going to be as, you know, inconsistent as he was a year ago. So, um, you know, certainly banking on a little bit of uh, progression, some development there. But uh, I could see it. I could see the Steelers having a fun year. So um, you got to have some teams that missed the playoffs a year ago that make it. So I think that Pittsburgh could definitely be one of those teams. All right, AFC South, terrible division. Got to changed gears a little bit here jaguars were the only team that made it last year colts and texans still you know kind of in rebuilds uh you know obviously last year was a hard rebuild i think they're maybe thinking you know a little bit younger roster but nevertheless i don't think those teams are necessarily too too close to playoffs um unless you know miraculous seasons uh from their rookie quarterbacks i don't necessarily forecast it and then the titans they've always kind of been hanging around i don't think they're bad enough to where we're going to see them picking top five uh maybe even top 10 they're probably in that hunt uh with the jaguars and competing and i definitely don't think the Jaguars are any kind of a lock to win that division. You know, there was really kind of the end of the year push um, that got it done for them uh, in terms of making the playoffs last year. And hey, they ended up winning a playoff game too. So uh, a little bit of positive note for for Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson. Uh, what are your thoughts here on, on the AFC South, assuming we just get one playoff team as we're expecting? Yeah, I'm going to guess it's the Jaguars. I, I do think that Jaguars and Titans are the only two teams with a pulse at this point. Like, I'd be really surprised to see, especially the Colts. I don't think that we're going to see much out of the Colts. It feels like that's just like a, such a, pardon my French, clusterfuck with the Jonathan Taylor situation. Obviously, uh, you know, coaching staff brand new, quarterback brand new. Uh, it could be it could be scary, maybe, in Indy in this year. Uh, maybe it does, maybe it produces a little bit better results than I would have anticipated. Uh, I also think Houston is going to be, semi-disastrous i mean realistically you got to look at last year uh the team is not that much better like you can't you can't make a, a total rebuild total rehaul total revamp uh in one year it's going to be a, a little bit of a process here obviously they got their guys uh they did make some, some shrewd moves to end up getting high up uh, multiple high picks you know obviously you got to root for uh the texans to actually like come out from from this horrible horrible last couple of years but uh yeah i i guess I don't know. I think the Jaguars are going to end up taking the division. I really don't like rooting for the Titans. I don't like Ryan Tannehill. I think that it's just, it's it's the most boring, mediocre type of football when you have a game manager quarterback who really like has to game manage. Like Ryan Tannehill is no longer going to be, he's not, he's not surprising any of us anymore. Okay. Like we know exactly what we're getting out of him. Uh, Derek Henry, one injury happens and the season's over for the Titans. That's really scary to me. Uh, so I'll take the Jags, but it's like the, the confidence level on the Jaguars is so low in terms of the other division winners that I really just it, Jaguars or Titans, neither team has a real pulse to win the Super Bowl. Neither team is contending for anything, but uh, somebody's got to win the division. Yeah, I, I think for that reason, I kind of lean on the Titans just a little bit more. I think maybe one, you know, kind of breakout performer that I could see this year is Traylon Burks. Uh, he was a first round pick of the Titans a year ago uh, and really is just already kind of their wide receiver one at this point. So uh, I could see him having, you know, kind of a breakout year that uh, maybe some people have uh, a little bit under the radar. And uh, like I said, I just think that the Jaguars, you know, it was kind of a late run last year. Maybe we're kind of, you know, just riding that high, just a little bit too high uh, at this point in time with the Jaguars. I know they're getting Calvin Ridley back. 
and a full year of Travis Etienne. It's kind of lo- lining up a little bit nicer for them offensively. But um, I think that Mike Brabel obviously um, has been, you know, coaching for for quite some time at this point, knows the game well. Like he's going to have his team grinding, battling. They're going to be in that hunt nevertheless. And uh, I don't think that the Jaguars are, are anything too spectacular that they couldn't take down. So I give the slight nod to the Titans, uh, even though I think that, you know, things line up do nicely for the Jaguars as well. No issue with, with you picking them there. All right, last division in the AFC. Let's hit on the AFC West. Obviously, Kansas City, I think we would both be astonished to see any kind of hiccup come for them uh, in terms of them missing the playoffs uh, or even winning the division, uh, to really be honest. So let's talk about the Chargers, the Raiders, the Broncos. Which of these three teams do you like the most, Donnie? Yeah, I'm thinking the Chargers are, are definitely the best of the three. I mean, offensively, they are head and shoulders above the other two uh, in terms of just the weapons they have. And obviously, quarterback situation, I would much rather have Justin Herbert than whatever the Raiders are going to throw out there because apparently it's not like 100% set that we're going to have one quarterback all year. Jimmy G may not even be the guy long term, which would be you know scary to me to say the least. And over in, in Denver after last year, there is zero confidence for me. I don't care who the coach is. You could, you could put prime John Madden as the coach there in Denver, and I'd be like, yeah, you know, maybe we're not maybe we're not making this it's not working out uh, I have I have no confidence in Denver Broncos unfortunately I have no confidence in the Raiders either to be fair uh, I would assume that we see two playoff teams out of this division the Chiefs should win the division without much uh, question but uh, I'm actually I think the Chargers will probably end up taking the reins just being able to defeat the Raiders and Broncos you know you get a couple I'm not going to call them easy division games because obviously you're probably going to lose twice to the Chiefs or at least split at the very best. Uh, but you should be able to take advantage of the Raiders and Broncos. I would assume they win three or four against those teams. Um, I'm not going to tell you who they're going to lose to, uh, you know, of the of the two. But yeah, I, I would definitely say the Chargers should sneak in as a wild card team, uh, albeit it's going to be tough. Like we've talked about it here. Uh, there's teams, if you're assuming like the Bills and Chiefs are going to make the playoffs, like we've got, there's, there's like a couple teams that could really make some noise. Some very, very quality teams, obviously having like teams like the Dolphins and Jets in the mix uh, very firmly makes things interesting. But uh, I, I would back the Chargers to make the playoffs this year. I, I would back the Chargers to have a, a 10-11 win season without much trouble. Yeah, I like the Chargers as well. They dealt with a lot of injuries last year too, so it could help to get some of those guys back. I guess J.C. Jackson is probably the first name that comes to mind um, in that category. But uh, I think the Broncos are interesting to me. I feel like they're like fake good. Like I could see the Broncos coming off to a hot start. They have kind of an easy schedule to start. They play like the Raiders and the Commanders. They play the Bears in week four. Uh, Like I could see the Broncos getting off to like a decent start and then the media is all like, oh, Russell Wilson was good once and Sean Payton won a Super Bowl. Look out for the Broncos. They could be fun again and then they end up still just kind of being shit at the end of the year so i could see some like fraud potential big time with the broncos like them getting off to a hot start everybody buys in and we're like eh I don't really see it. That's just kind of my outlook for the Broncos. Maybe they ride it a little bit further. I definitely don't mind their, you know, some of the receivers they got over there, obviously. But, um, you know, last year was just so, so bad. Uh, Obviously, new coach, you know, some potential for things to change. But uh, I'm not to a point where I'm saying, yeah, Broncos, I'm riding them into the playoffs. But like I said, I I think that they may could turn some heads a little bit, you know, catch some steam in the media. Um, But in the end, I I really don't think that, you know, they're making any much damage uh, in the AFC. What about the Raiders? Are are we are we like let's be honest here? Quarterback situation's bad, but like Jimmy G should be playing every single game without a question this year. There's there's not a there's not a world where they should be considering that. I mean, if you've paid any attention to media at all this this offseason, like it, it could be potentially scary if things go downhill. Like Aiden O'Connell, people seem to really, really enjoy what he's done in the preseason so far. I would be very afraid to have Aiden O'Connell as my quarter. Obviously, you saw plenty of Aiden O'Connell as yeah. a, a college football fan, like. Uh, that's a that's a scary reality, is it not? 
Yeah, he definitely looked good in preseason. You know, it's a little bit different dynamic. It certainly benefits him to have Devontae Adams out there. If he was getting regular season action, I would probably recommend any quarterback to the Raiders just fire the ball his way and hope for the best. Um, so that's probably they just need to feed him as well as Josh Jacobs. But uh, yeah, overall, just not all that high on the Raiders. You know, I didn't really see a ton of fight in them last year with Josh McDaniels to where I'm saying, yes, this is kind of a you know surprise year. Could they be in the wild card hunt? Sure. Um, but, you know, I don't think that they end up getting in uh, when it's all said and done um for me with the Raiders although they did a few years ago um and that was still surprising to me too uh when that year when John Gruden left mid-season for all the emails that was really weird so uh the Raiders are a weird team in general but I'm certainly not predicting it uh in terms of playoffs for them uh, going into this season all right let's bounce over to the NFC cover the AFC you know not necessarily any too anything too surprising from either Donnie the NFC East our favorite division, Donnie, Giants and Eagles involved in this division, of course. We know the stat that no team has repeated as NFC East champions since 2004, which was the Eagles. The Eagles obviously won the division last year, making it all the way to the Super Bowl before coming up short. But it is obviously a strong division. We do like Dallas and the Giants again this year. Commanders were both pretty low on, I would say. But um, let's start with your Giants, Donnie. What's kind of your thoughts? Obviously, winning a road playoff game last year was much, much better than either of us expected at this point a year ago. What are your thoughts? What's your pulse on the Giants? at this point in time just looking around at the nfc i would say the giants are in a pretty decent position to make the playoffs again uh, albeit it will almost guaranteed be a bottom two wild card spot probably the bottom wild card spot if i had to guess um i just for the division's sake like the eagles should run the division in my opinion it, it's not even that close uh, i would anticipate the eagles winning the division by at least two or three games uh, when it's all said and done after week 18 uh, but I don't think the Giants are super duper far off Dallas. It will really be, uh, we'll have to see what happens week one. Obviously it'll be a really good telltale sign. You go right away. Um, this is not a game that I would want to start the season off with. This is a game that I would like to have at least four or five weeks down the road. Uh, so maybe that will benefit. Uh, I, maybe that benefits the Giants having a little bit more, you know, knowledge on, under the system. Um, they know exactly what they've got to do to beat Dallas. They've watched the team. The Giants have lost 11 of 12 against the Cowboys. And obviously you, you will say at best, the Eagles have absolutely owned the Giants. But outside of the divisional games, outside of those two teams, I think the Giants have a fairly easy schedule. Uh, I was looking at, obviously, you get to play teams like Arizona. Uh, you get Vegas later in the year. Uh, teams like the Rams, who I don't anticipate doing much of anything this year. Like, it feels like they're in a decent position to win maybe maybe 10 games, a seventh wild card spot. Uh, I would assume that it's the third in the division behind Dallas and Philly. But realistically, like maybe them and Dallas are closer than, than people are, are giving them credit for. Uh, I don't think they're anywhere near the Eagles as we've seen them play and, and get sh shellacked whenever they play the Eagles uh, the last couple of years. But uh, I don't think they're that far off of the Dallas Cowboys at this point. I could be really wrong on this come end of the year, but uh, I I'm like cautiously optimistic, more much more optimistic than coming to last year. That's for sure. Sure. Yeah, I think that's good analysis for sure. And yeah, obviously you bring up a strong point. You know, when you talk about the Giants and Eagles head to head, you know, it hasn't really been all that competitive. You can just look at that playoff game last year as your exhibit A on that one. But I think that the Giants showed so much fight last year to where a point where you can see them, you know, continuing to see some rise uh, in what Brian Dable is building. Uh, I think that we will see the Giants back in the playoffs next year. And uh, I think that maybe they even overtake Dallas. I like them slightly better than I do Dallas. And uh, maybe they're, you know, kind of 
neck and neck with the Eagles. You know, like you said, though, you know, the head to head games, it's, it's hard to um, really be too confident on the Giants end, uh, just given how the recent history has gone. But uh, I do think that the Giants are, you know, finding themselves in a spot where, you know, they should be able to compete in the playoffs. You know, the defensive backs is probably the area where it's, um, you know, most lackluster for the Giants if you're picking holes in that roster. But um, I do think they have uh, something good building there for sure. For Dallas, they're a little bit more of a wild card, obviously losing a couple of pieces on that offense with Dalton Schultz and Ezekiel Elliott, you know, still obviously a lot coming back. CD Lamb, Michael Gallup, Tony Pollard. So uh, some things to like for, for Dallas and what they're building. Um, you know, obviously you got some good playmakers on the defensive side. Michael Parsons obviously really stands out. So uh, hard to see the Cowboys being, you know, completely abysmal. But uh, I feel like they're just kind of in a state where they're just kind of, you know, hanging around where they've been the last couple of years. Like, is Dak Prescott ever going to really take that jump to where, um, you know, he's leading the Cowboys and, you know, winning these marquee playoff games, making a Super Bowl. You know, I feel like we're always just kind of waiting around for it to happen. And uh, it would be hard for me to kind of convince myself that this is the year where the Cowboys kind of take that jump up. So uh, I maybe, you know, if we're fearing, you know, any team kind of taking a little bit of a step back, Dallas having made the playoffs last year, maybe they could be a contender, you know, to be a surprise miss this upcoming year to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, I don't necessarily disagree because it is literally just like a run it back year for the Cowboys once again, uh, except Mike McCarthy has even more say in things, which I'm not I'm not necessarily sure Mike McCarthy having that much say in things is a good thing. I, I think that we've established over time that it's maybe not the greatest idea in the world. Uh, but I, again, you know, it is the Cowboys. You expect them to be at least half decent. They did yeah. make some decent moves. It, it is fun. Uh, their DB should be a lot of fun uh, out there, uh, albeit, you know, maybe maybe we're not as high on, on specifically me, high as Trevon Diggs as some people are. People calling like the best DB in, in, outside of Sauce Gardner. Not not, not the truth, guys. We got we to gotta calm down there. But uh, offensively, obviously, it's going to be pretty good as long as Dak uh, doesn't turn the ball over. It will be interesting to see Tony Pollard. Uh, fully should be very very Zeke Elliott uh in terms of the chances that he gets on the field should be getting plenty plenty of touches um and I I want to mention nobody talks about Brandon Cooks like Brandon Cooks is the most underrated consistent guy out there like he's a thousand yard receiver six of his last seven years something like that it's gonna be nice to have a security blanket outside of the big play CD lamb like obviously Michael Gallup's really good but I'm I'm kind of high on Brandon Cooks I'm not high on Dak Prescott so that's where the issue kind of kind of rises but he's got all the weapons in the world to do something if it's a good year for Dak Prescott the Cowboys should be a playoff team without a doubt yeah I think that's good analysis good point on Cooks too he's just kind of been hanging around been a you know underrated consistent receiver neither of us all that high on the commanders your plan is to start Sam Howell and we're obviously very skeptical on that uh, I love my guy Terry McLaurin over there I think they have a good D-line you know maybe they steal a couple of games once in a while but uh, I don't anticipate this team you know really coming too too close uh, to the playoffs especially given how you know good this division is in the NFC East at this point in time which is still kind of funny to say because I always remember those years where the NFC East was always like the laughing stock of the NFL so we live in a world right now where it's looking good but but this could change in 20 minutes for all I know. So uh, we'll enjoy it while we got it, Donnie. Uh, let's move on, though. Speaking of divisions that really aren't that good, let's talk about a couple of them, starting with the NFC North. Uh, Vikings were the team that made this, uh, you know, won this division a year ago. And we knew this team was a major fraud because their defense was horrible. And they just lost Dalvin Cook, obviously, uh, you know, who was uh, one of their top offensive playmakers outside of Justin Jefferson, lost Adam Thielen as well. I think there's going to be a little regression from the Minnesota Vikings this year. But who else is going to do it? Is it going to be the Lions, the Packers, the Bears uh really you could poke holes in just about every one of these teams so uh what's your pulse right now NFC North who do you think ends up taking it uh at the end of the year 
I'm going to pick the Vikings just because I'm not necessarily sure the Detroit Lions are there yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Detroit Lions were like a 9-10 win team and maybe snuck into the playoffs or competed for the last wildcard spot. Again, uh, we're going to talk about some bad divisions. This is not the worst division in the in terms of depth, in terms of all four teams. Like sure. there, there are There is some really, really bad football to be played in the NFC this year, and the Detroit Lions could benefit from that uh, maybe at the back end of the wildcard spot, along maybe with the Giants somewhere around there. Uh, I'm really not super sold that the bears or Packers are going to be in this competitive little region here. Um, give it a year, obviously I'd like to see the quarterbacks progress, uh, especially in green Bay really have no idea how that's going to happen. I, another team that I have no idea how to project. They, they could be, I would say they're probably like a seven to nine winner in there. Probably I would assume closer to seven than nine, um, but I wouldn't necessarily be surprised. It is hard to play in green Bay. The Packers do have a solid roster. It's just really about what the young players can do. And the bears after last year, I'm still, they could have added an entirely different team outside Justin Fields. I still wouldn't be super confident because it just seems like things fall apart. Um, and it seems like Justin Fields was running for his life, like 75% of games last year, which worked out. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I just have the most confidence in the Vikings solely because of like Justin Jefferson, the weapons, now, Kirk Cousins is is average enough to where he does a good job in this division, you would say. Uh, so my pick would be the Vikings at the top, probably the worst or uh, maybe the second worst division winner um, because, you know, the South could be a disaster in, in my opinion. But uh, maybe the Lions are, are a bottom end wild card spot. I wouldn't be wouldn't be too, too for sure. I don't know. I'm really I'm, I'm having some issues here with the Lions because I really just yeah. like, I want to buy into the Lions. But it's like the, it's it's the fucking Lions. Like, pardon my friend. It's the Lions, dude. Yeah, you if you pick the Lions to win the division and they don't win the division, you just feel like such an idiot. You're like, dude, why <laughs> exactly, did I believe dude. the Detroit Lions? I've watched football my whole life. They're not good. Like, that's just how I feel about the Lions at this point in time. Uh, <laughs> like they literally celebrated so hard that they went nine and eight and missed the playoffs last year. Like it just seems like such a meme to me. Uh, the Lions. I mean, I like you said, like it's hard to argue yourself into any of these teams because there's whole major holes in all of them. I'm gonna go with the Packers, though, uh, in terms of winning this division. I like Matt LaFleur. I feel confident in him as a head coach i think he can do a decent job with jordan love obviously he's a major major wild card we haven't seen a ton of him but um you know sitting a couple years behind aaron Rodgers, like we're kind of thinking you can be at least decent so um you know i think that there's some options with him with christian watson and romeo dobbs and Jaden reed you know some uh, you know a little bit of options on the outside and i think that defense is a lot better than what they showed last year obviously i really like jair alexander rashawn gary and a couple of those you know first round picks from two years ago now entering their second year Devontae wyatt trayvon walker I feel like there's some, you know, good playmakers on this defensive side too for Green Bay that in a division that we're kind of just looking around to see who's the best, um, you know, I kind of feel the, the best about Green Bay, um, you know, all things considered there. So um, that is the NFC North. Let's move over to the NFC South. You mentioned that there are worse divisions in the NFC. I think this is probably the one you were talking about, Donnie. The NFC South, Tampa Bay made the playoffs last year. I would be pretty surprised if they made it again this year because Tom Brady is no longer their quarterback and Baker Mayfield is the plan. And that seems really, really scary because a team in this division, the Carolina Panthers, tried to do that a year ago and they didn't even make it the full season. So uh, obviously that's a little bit concerning from a Tampa Bay standpoint. But even again, do you look at the rest of the division, the Panthers, the Saints, the Falcons, you can poke holes in all of these rosters. What's your thoughts? Who ends up taking the NFC South? Uh, it's like, it's this is really just a horrible, horrible breakdown here. But I'm going to take the Saints because I feel like they're the least mediocre of the gang. And I think that's going to be the pick for most people this year. Uh, I would be really surprised if we saw the Buccaneers or Falcons over like five or six wins, which is really crazy because the Falcons roster is pretty nice. But again, quarterback is a huge concern. I really have no idea how to project that. Um, although the, the weapons are, are going to be at least at, at the minimum fun, yeah. very fun. 
So that, that'll that be cool. But uh, I still think the Saints, obviously, Alvin Kamara, you really have no idea what's going to happen there. He's going to miss a couple games. But when he comes back, Alvin Kamara, Jamal Williams, seems like a good enough duo in the backfield to where they could produce a little bit. Derek Carr, quarterback, should be fine. I, we are, neither of us have been the biggest Derek Carr fans over time. That's going to be totally, but it, it's a, a lot better situation than having a Baker Mayfield, at quarterback. Can't really argue that. And then the Panthers, uh, I, God knows with the Panthers, really God, after last year, it felt like they were coming on strong at the end of the year. Uh, Sam Darnold was doing magic. It was really yeah. special stuff. And then, and then just, it fell up. It, it didn't happen like we wanted it to. And I, I can't anticipate the Carolina Panthers are going to be making the playoffs this year, but I, I mean, maybe better than Atlanta and Tampa in my assessment, uh, just, a, just a tad, uh, it's going to be a really tough division. I, I think new Orleans gets eight, nine wins sneaks into the playoffs and whoever they play in the first round, uh, in the wild card round, we'll, we'll just absolutely smack them. It'll be a great a surprise for them. I'll, I'll, you know, it is what it is. We have it in every sport. Look at the MLB. We've got it. We've got divisions that have just horrible teams that have no chance to win that are going to win division spots and lose early on. Uh, we're going to see in the NFL this year, almost assuredly out of whoever comes out of this division, probably the Saints in my opinion. Yeah, I think the Saints are, are probably the team I could point at and be like a little bit most confident in because I think they have some veterans there that, you know, have kind of been there, done that. They'll get Kamara back after a couple of games. Michael Thomas is obviously a big wild card. Of course. His health, but uh, Chris Olave showed some promises rookie year. Derek Carr, as you said, you know, we're not the highest on him, but he's a veteran quarterback. That's more than what the other teams in this division can say uh, outside of Tampa Bay, which again, that's Baker Mayfield. So, you know, you're kind of like, oh, you know, this could be terrible. So uh, the, the Falcons kind of intrigue me. Like you said, they've invested three you know top 10 picks on you know big time playmakers with drake london Bijan robinson kyle pitts you know they've they've done some things on that defense they went out they got jeff okuda they got jesse bates to help out their dbs they still have gritty jarrett on the d-line so there's some things that i like about atlanta that maybe they could be flying under the radar a little bit but still i think that you know at best we're probably looking at a you know near 500 team uh with the falcons on you know kind of the upper end and i feel similarly about carolina as well i know they've been a team i've talked about on this podcast that i could see making a jump and that's really just you know is the Bryce Young magic real you know can he translate and, and make things happen I tend to think yes I really liked what he did at Alabama so it's hard for me to really kind of count him out but uh, I'm with you overall I think at the end of the day I have the most confident in saying that the Saints um, just given the you know depth in their roster um, have the strongest chance of, of winning the NFC South but uh, I think we'll only get one playoff team out of this division but like I said you know there's opportunities for these other teams to you know make a push but um, hard for me to you know really say that with too too much confidence heading into the season all right let's finish it off nfc west another you know stronger division than the last two we've talked about i would say um seahawks and the 49ers made the playoffs a year ago the rams obviously they won the super bowl two years ago had a tough one last year with injuries obviously cooper cup still dealing with that a little bit should get matthew stafford back which is nice cardinals still you know kind of in a rebuilding mess a little bit kyler murray uh his status is a little bit up in the air as well heading into the season so I think we're mostly looking at these top three teams with the Niners, the Seahawks, and the Rams uh, here in the NFC West, Donnie. I, I want to start with the Rams, though. What are your thoughts? Do you think that they have some more fight? Could they compete for a playoff spot? What, what are your thoughts on uh, on the Rams here first? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of, of very worrying factors that come with the Rams, and it starts off with Matt Stafford. Um, we've talked about it a little bit uh, over time. The elbow injury is quite concerning. Um, he's apparently over it for now, but these are things that pop up late in your career and stay in your career. It's not like his elbow injury is going to go anywhere. He will very likely uh, feel some sort of pain in his throwing arm for the remainder of his career. So that is a question mark. And again, he was on, uh, pardon my French, he was on his ass quite a lot when he played last year. 
and then he got hurt. It really wasn't a good situation at all in L.A. Uh, I'm not necessarily sold that it's going to be as bad as it was last year, but I don't have any confidence in Matt Stafford anymore as an NFL quarterback uh, to be like an elite superstar, 40 touchdown pass throwing. Uh, I think those days are past. I think I'd be very, very surprised to see the Rams with that type of success. And again, Cooper Cup, nobody has any idea how much Cooper Cup is going to play this year. Nobody has any idea what's going on with Cooper Cup because he's seen multiple doctors in the last week. Nobody really has a, a, a timetable in terms of like, can he heal back? Can he heal up? Can he come back and be fresh? Uh, I would like to say the Rams are in a decent position, but I don't think so. I really think it's going to be dire this year. It could be really, really rough on the running year because you take Cooper Cup out of that lineup, uh, not not throw into a whole lot. The, the receivers there are pretty mediocre. Uh, I do think the running game should be solid. I don't think there's really any question there. They always seem to get uh, enough out of their guys. I mean, like Cam Akers, no issues, no complaints from me. Uh, but I, the Rams, dude, I just I I don't have any confidence anymore. I feel like the, the last couple of years. Obviously, post Super Bowl, everything has gone wrong. It feels like to the point where, like, I don't know, they got their Super Bowl, so nothing really matters. But you would have really hoped Matt Stafford would still be kicking, and and at this point, after trading for him, you would have assumed that Matt Stafford would still be playing at least high quality ball. And I'm not sure we can guarantee that of him. Yeah, they're they definitely underperformed to say the least. Uh, last year is one of the worst seasons we've ever seen for a defending Super Bowl champ. So you know maybe a little bit better than that, but um, still obviously a, a ways for them to go if they want to you know win this division over teams like San Fran and Seattle. Who um, you know you look at their quarterback rooms, I guess specifically Seahawks keeping Geno Smith, Niners um, you know to start I'll go with Brock Purdy. They also got uh, Sam Darnold in that mix in, in the backup spot. Trey Lance obviously traded him away already to Dallas. So um, you know who do you pick between between both San Fran and Seattle, who do you like more to, to come out on top of this division? Yeah, you know, it's got to be San Fran. Obviously, the defense is just immaculate. Uh, I would like to say the Seahawks have the best, maybe the best receiver group in, in football. I don't think yeah. that's really crazy to say at this point. I and mean, we will see what happens. Uh, obviously, still pretty young group there in general. And it is nice to see Geno Smith kind of pop up. I, I, you know, as a as a former you know, giant, you were thinking Geno Smith, probably not, uh, not, not going to ever yeah. do anything. And all of a sudden he's, he's an incredible year last year uh, to a point where even I have to give him his props. I was a Geno Smith hater my entire life. Uh, Geno, you know, he, he, he I, I, it was the most surprising part of last year, maybe for me in terms of just a, a one a specific individual player, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with the Niners. They get the most out of their players, offensive weapons, very, very good uh, defense. Incredible. We already know that's going to happen. I would assume that the top of the NFC is a two team race between the Eagles and the 49ers in the year. I would anticipate both of them being 13, 14 win teams. Uh, and I think like we're, we're almost doomed into have a crash course Niners Eagles rematch. Like, I don't think that I think that's got to be the highest betting odds by far in terms of uh, what we're going to see in the NFC championship game. So uh, that's my prediction. Uh, definitely the Niners couple games up on the Seahawks. Seahawks could compete for a playoff spot, though. I'm not going to wouldn't be shocked at all if they made it a wild card. Yeah, I agree with you on the Niners. It's obviously a really good team, and they added Javon Hargrave, who had a really good year for the Eagles last year. thought that was a, another really good add for their D-line. Um, I, I agree with you on the Seahawks, you know, that wide receiver trio. I would say probably best in the NFC. I would probably say uh, the Chargers and, and Bengals come to mind uh, in the AFC for, for some of their receiver trios. But nonetheless, I really like that group with Metcalf, Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigbo, who they drafted in the first round this year, um, could really kind of help Geno Smith, you know, just continue to be Geno Smith that he was a year ago. Uh, I think that could 
gives me a little bit more confidence after they, you know, re-signed him and, and kept him around uh, in that spot. So um, I think that the Seahawks will be good enough to, you know, be right back there in the playoffs. But that could be another spot where it's like, okay, how much better are they really than the Rams going into this year? Um, you know, a team who overperceived expectations a year ago versus a team that really underperformed. You know, maybe that could be where there's a little disconnect in terms of what the public sees um, versus what actually will transpire this year. Just thinking out loud on that one. But that's our preview for the NFL season. We'll have a couple more thoughts uh, on the NFL when we dive into our questions. But before we do that, we want to hit on some baseball thoughts on this podcast. Obviously, here we are in September, still a month away from the playoffs, but we're creeping closer towards some of these playoff pushes. Have a quick story, unfortunate news for the LA Dodgers to share, Donnie, your Dodgers. Julio Arias uh, arrested for domestic violence uh, after attending an MLS game. So that's obviously very uh, unfortunate news um, that the Dodgers have now dealt with with a couple of their pitchers, uh, going back to Trevor Bauer at this point. But um, seems like Julio Arias will be unavailable for them for the foreseeable future. So let's talk about the Dodgers here real quick, Donnie. Obviously, we've talked about how this is a team that we think will be near the top uh, of the NL, to say the least, um, You know, going into the postseason. Just played a series uh, against the Atlanta Braves and only were able to come out of one in that four-game set. So uh, what's your confidence level right now in the Dodgers in terms of the likelihood that they will be able to get back um, to the World Series uh, and winning the NL? Yeah, I would assume that any matchup against the Braves, any rematch against the Braves would be the final uh, matchup of the NL side of the playoffs. Uh, so there is plenty of time there for them to figure things out. I do think Walker Bueller will be a very large factor in whatever happens in the Dodgers playoff run. Obviously, he's been throwing. He threw two perfect innings the other day. Obviously, we're just talking about two innings in a minor league. Minor league. It doesn't, yeah. really, doesn't really matter a whole something, lot. Though. But uh, we've got a month and a half or so to build up for Walker Bueller to get uh, back, at least for uh, where he can throw four or five innings in a playoff game, which would be very, very helpful. Uh, I would say no Kershaw over the weekend against the Braves. That is something to, to consider. Clayton Kershaw has been maybe the best pitcher in baseball when he pitches this year. He's a sub-2-5 ERA pitcher. His strikeout stuff is immaculate this year. It's even more surprising than I would have anticipated him being at this point in his career. And then we've seen Lance Lynn outside of that Braves matchup. He's been very, very good. Now, Bobby Miller won the game against the Braves, the only game the Dodgers took over the weekend uh, i would very very i would say bobby miller i have the utmost confidence in a kid that's 24 uh first year uh, obviously he's just he, he's been everything and more and again the one thing that's really really key here uh losing urias obviously it's crazy this is the second instance of domestic violence in three and a half years four years um and this one will almost assuredly end his career uh if he is charged which it, it, it's seeming bad based on the charges that he was he was given uh they, they were very vulgar sounding they, they much worse than what you would have anticipated from like a simple uh, a simple domestic violence assault like it sounded like he really he did some some serious bodily harm uh, which is just disgusting obviously uh, don't need him on the team anywhere but the Dodgers are the Dodgers they will survive they will persevere they will come up with something to figure things out uh, we've seen it time and time again the bullpen has been great that's all that really matters since the deadline the bullpen has been near the best or the best in baseball so if you can get past that obviously I would have confidence in Kershaw game one against any pitcher in baseball and from there it's all about just like riding the highs Lance Lynn can probably give you some decent innings in the playoffs he's been pretty good outside of that Braves game uh, I'm not super super scared of the future for the Dodgers because there are some potential lights at the end of the tunnel uh, but it is just horrible horrible to have this domestic violence thing pop up yet again just uh, shocking that Julio didn't learn after the first time where he got off with only just like a 10 game suspension uh it's it's crazy insanity to me that this happens again but uh we don't need those types of players in the league fine with me if he's kicked off and never pitches again 
Yeah, definitely uh, unfortunate news uh, for your Dodgers there, Donnie. Good good analysis on your part. Um, as you know, we've been talking about the Dodgers all summer. You know, one of the top teams in the NL. Um, you know that obviously is a, is a little bit of a hit to them um, as we creep closer towards October. And as we do, let's talk about some of these standings, these close races uh, for some of these playoff pushes. I think the division that really stands out the most at this point in time is going to be the American League West. You got three of the top teams in the AL with the Mariners, the Astros, and the Texas Rangers, all within one game at this point in time uh, of first place in the American League West. Um, you know, it, it's been a dogfight really over the last two, three weeks since the Mariners have gotten really this red hot uh, since the All-Star break and, and trade deadline uh, specifically. So um, who do you think ends up taking uh, this AL West uh, division uh, once we uh, once we get there here in a few weeks? Yeah, it's crazy because over the weekend, we were in situations where it felt like the Astros were in a really bad position because they blew an entire series against the Yankees who have just been atrocious. And it felt like the Mariners were in a pretty good position playing teams like the Reds and the Mets. Obviously, the Reds are competitive. The Mets are not competitive at all. Uh, I would definitely rather play those teams rather than the Astros, Yankees. Even if the Yankees are bad, there's there's going to be some anger behind it. There's going to be they're going to be pissed off to play the Astros. It just is what it is. There's a little bit of extra motivation there. And neither team was able to do a whole lot of anything. Obviously, the Astros were swept. The Mariners lost a series to the Mets. Uh, that, that can't happen at this point in the season. Uh, and again, we've got a massive, massive series here with Texas playing Houston. Uh, uh, it could end up being what ends up changing the season at the end of the year. You don't lose, uh, you lose three games. Texas is in a really bad position if they lose two more. Uh, if Houston loses the next two, they're in a really bad position. It's going to be really interesting. I, I just, I got to pick Houston probably. Uh, I still, it, it's hard for me to pick the Mariners just in general because it doesn't seem like this is the Mariners type of thing down the stretch, 20 games left. If you're picking between a Seattle, the Seattle Mariners, the Houston Astros, the last couple of years, it's going to be the Astros. Uh, I, it's it's hard. It's really tough. I'd like to see the Mariners do it. It'd be really, really surprising because the team is a lot of fun. Uh, but I still think the Astros are are maybe not super far ahead as the favorite, but definitely the favorite in my eyes. Yeah, it's uh, I definitely uh, hear everything you said there, and yeah, hard to uh, hard to disagree with that. I will say, for Texas's standpoint, you mentioned this big series they've got going on right now with the Astros. They will get Nathan Valdi back from an injury, hasn't pitched in about a month, and Max Scherzer also has been a little banged up, but seems like he'll be able to go in this series. So, um, kind of a, a playoff preview, so to speak, um, in this matchup between these two teams uh, in the same division. So, um, it'll be a tough fight all the way through. But um, at this point in time, uh, I still kind of think that Texas has a little bit of fight left in them even though they've you know haven't been as good as they were to start the year i think maybe uh some of these veteran pitchers can kind of kind of come in and help them out here in september but um all three of these teams will be in the playoffs so um we definitely haven't seen the last of uh, of each of them all right let's touch quickly on the wild card chases uh as well um these are some close races first of all in the nl we've talked about how there's many many teams Still in this race, um, we've got at this point two teams tied for that last wildcard spot with the D-backs and the Reds, and then also the Marlins and the Giants, each within a game of that last spot. Uh, the Phillies and Cubs, uh, the teams with spots right now uh, for that wildcard push. So um, this one, again, it's it's really going to kind of come down to the wire here, um, and it seems like that third wildcard, again, they're probably more in line to play the Milwaukee Brewers at this point in time um, rather than that you know four or five best of three series, which right now would be the Phillies and the Cubs 
playing head to head. So a little bit advantageous for some of those teams, you know, right on the edge, even like a Miami Marlins or, or San Francisco Giants. They think if they can kind of just get hot, finish strong here, they may even have a chance to, you know, win uh, a little bit in that wild card round if they can knock out the Brewers who uh, have had a, you know, inconsistent offense to say the least at, at times this year, as have the Marlins and Giants, certainly, but um, nevertheless, maybe a little bit of an opportunity. So uh, interesting wild card chase in the National League. Donnie, what, what's your thoughts right now on how it may unfold here? Yeah, I don't necessarily know how it's going to unfold. It doesn't seem like any of these teams really want to win games. Like they've yeah. all been pretty mediocre the last couple of weeks, which is never ideal when you're you're fighting for a wild card spot. Obviously, the Cubs have been the team that's winning games, so uh, they've put themselves in a really nice spot. Up three games it would be very hard to blow that lead with the other teams playing poorly. But I would think if you're going to pick a matchup, a team to play uh, in the playoffs and, and win a series, I think Arizona is the best of the of the group in terms of just looking at uh, what pitching they've got at the top end. I would be very scared outside of the first two games. You know, Gallon and Kelly against whoever you go up against is going to be pretty ideal. Uh, game three, you're throwing Ryan Nelson or, or Tommy Henry, and you're just like, ah, you know, maybe this is not where we want to be, but they right. do have the, the lineup to do it. Uh, I just... The Reds, for whatever reason, they feel like frauds to me. They feel like they just really don't care a whole lot uh, necessarily about like the playoffs. And we saw them not really do anything uh, at the deadline. It was kind of just sort of just like, we're just going to see what happens here. Uh, whereas I, I kind of just feel like Arizona's in a position with their young players. They're kind of streaking still. Uh, we see guys like Christian Walker and Corbin Carroll carrying the team. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident in Arizona as a roster. I'm not confident in the slightest in the San Francisco Giants. It just feels like they, I don't even know how they're here. Okay, I don't even know how they're here. So we're, we're at a point where, you know, if I was going to pick anybody to maybe win a playoff series out of the wild card, it would be the Arizona Diamondbacks, albeit maybe not super confident in any of these teams at this point. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, especially saying that the Reds are frauds. Their pitching is just really bad. So then their offense has not been as good in the second half as they were in the first. So um, even though they are tied for a spot right now, I agree with you. I think when it's all said and done, they're on the outside looking in. And I think it's also interesting to look at this wild card race. And we mentioned the Phillies and Cubs, two teams that, you know, seem to be in a pretty good spot to be able to, you know, grab at least two of these three spots at this point in time. Uh, The Padres, they're six and a half games out and they're the only team with a positive run differential in the entire national league uh of any team you know not in the playoffs so uh it's just so wild to think that the padres are still so far out all things considered in this incredibly weak national league where you have teams like the cardinals and mets who massively unperformed they sold and the padres still cannot figure out a way to even come within five games of the last <laughs> wild card spot uh that just incredibly dumbfounds me for for a team that's 60 games over in a run differential yeah, yeah there's there's never i don't think there's a team that's underperformed as bad as this team because the Padres were clearly like a playoff team without a doubt coming into the year. Roster wise, even the Mets, like there's always question marks because of the Mets, but the Padres had felt like they were consistent. And again, like we've talked about it, getting performances out of guys like Hoshion Kim to the point where they're like nearly, nearly leading the ML, leading the NL in war. And then you've got Tatis and Soto, Machado. How are you this bad? And I mean, we, we did see they've just cleaned up off the waiver wire pretty much to, to run out the roster. So maybe like Garrett Cooper, Gary Sanchez, not really helping it out. And again, we have to mention RK yesterday, Rich Hill threw. Rich Hill was the, their starting pitcher. We That's just, that's the, no, stop guys. He's 44 or 45. He gave up six runs in, in an inning and a third. Like, what were you expecting? You're playing the Phillies. Why would you ever go out with Rich Hill against the Phillies? in 2023 if you're trying to make it back uh, the Padres are an unserious organization outside of the top five or six salaries the guys they've paid uh they, they've they've fraud watched themselves to a whole nother level this year okay it's it's insane to, and as a Dodger fan lovely great to watch yeah. oh yeah especially after how last year went in the playoffs I'm sure you're just <laughs> of course 
for, for the Padres right now. But um, yeah, that, that really just stands out to me the most of, of anything going on in the NL wildcard. Like we can kind of just laugh at whatever team's getting in <laughs> and it's the Padres for that last spot. So um, definitely wanted to hit on that. Uh, American League wildcard, still a little bit of an interesting race. We got the Blue Jays a half game out of that last wildcard spot, which is currently occupied by the Texas Rangers, who I just said, I think have a good chance to still win their division. So I think there may be a little bit of a gap there uh, between some of those wildcard spots that are in right now, Tampa Bay, Houston, Texas. Uh, and then even though Toronto's, you know, in the hunt, we're just behind, um, you know, at least in my opinion, I think they will continue to be on the outside looking in um, when the year ends. Red Sox still in the picture as well, four and a half back, but uh, going to be an uphill battle for for the Red Sox to get in, uh, especially given, you know, some of the struggles of, of their pitching staff uh, at times this year. So wanted to hit on those uh, updates for Major League Baseball. Um, but let's get into questions, Donnie. We actually have a lot of questions uh, for this podcast, a couple of different question askers for it. So let's start with our friend Eric. Got a couple of football questions for us to start, so let's get into those. He says, one team that you would not pick to make the playoffs, but wouldn't shock you if they did. Kind of ran through our playoff preview. So Donnie, which of those that we just ran through, who would not shock you to make the playoffs, even if you're not picking it to begin the season? Yeah, I made sure that I did some some preparation for this. So I like picked every game throughout the season, just did a quick run through. And the teams that didn't make the playoffs for me uh, as the eight seeds in, in each conference were the Steelers and the Seahawks. I don't think that either of those teams would be a surprise in the playoffs. Um, I, I think that we've seen that both teams, especially the Seahawks last year, proved that their offense was nearly, uh, it's very, very hard to stop. They are going to run down the field. They're going to score the ball. Um, it just depends on what they're going to do defensively, see if they can keep up there. And uh, the Steelers are very reliable. Obviously, playing in Pittsburgh is hard. It's going to be a, a tough situation. And again, you get to, to December, January, it's very cold. It's a Steelers advantage every time they're playing in that type of game. It just is what it is they're coached a little bit different they know better um i wouldn't be shocked at all if the steelers made it i wouldn't be shocked at all i'm even gonna add in like maybe i wouldn't be super surprised if we saw a team like miami make the playoffs um just yeah that offense is so good uh the weapons are so good and i mean if you get a full year of Tua after Tua play how to play last year wouldn't be shocking to me at all if we saw uh, all three of these teams even make the playoffs yeah, I think that's uh, that's good analysis. All of those teams are teams that I feel like have a damn good chance to make the playoffs myself, uh, as uh, as we just touched on. So I think for me, probably the answer that that is most applicable would be the Carolina Panthers. I'm just looking at a division that's incredibly weak. And like I said, I'm buying into the Bryce Young factor of just kind of making things happen. Uh, once he gets a, a little bit of reps under his belt, uh, obviously the rest of that roster still has a little bit of ways to go before it's all perfect and whatnot. But um, hopefully he and Miles Sanders can, you know, contribute to a little bit to the rushing game. And then uh, Bryce Young can start to, to read some defenses and in a weak division overall. Um, I think that Carolina is probably the team that stands out to me that I'm not immediately picking to make the playoffs, but definitely would not shock me if they ended up getting in over a team like the New Orleans Saints, for example, who I think will end up winning that division uh, as we touched on. All right, let's hit on some NFL week one specific questions here, Donnie. Uh, Eric just wants us to pick uh, an upset, biggest week one upset uh, in the NFL. What do you think? Yeah, I was really thinking through this and I, I wanted to say it only makes sense to pick like a team that's a serious upset. Like I was looking between Chicago and Green Bay. Green Bay is only a one point underdog. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if Green Bay won week one in Chicago. Like it shouldn't surprise anybody. So I'm going to go off the board a little bit. I'm going to take Miami plus three in LA against the Chargers. I feel like we've seen these. This is going to be a great game, obviously, having the two quarterbacks battle it out. It should be a very, very high scoring game. But uh, if I was picking a an upset. I don't think that there's going to be anything super surprising out of week one. You kind of expect uh, the cream to rise to the top very fast in the NFL. You kind of sort of understand who the who the dominant teams are immediately. And I don't think we're going to see any super, super huge upsets. I wouldn't be super surprised uh, if maybe like 
I don't know, the Giants beat the Cowboys. That would be a slightly big upset uh, week one. Obviously, it's in New York, so not that uh, not that crazy. But yeah, I'm not really I'm not really buying into anything big happening week one. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty much right there with you. I like a couple of these home uh, underdogs. You mentioned the Giants, but the other one I'll shout out would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just touched on how I think this could be uh, a little bit of an under-the-radar team hosting the San Francisco 49ers, obviously a very strong team in the NFC, but uh, I think on the road in Pittsburgh, I think maybe we'd be able to see uh, Pittsburgh Steelers team kind of get to Brock Purdy a little bit, a couple sacks, a couple turnovers. I could definitely see the Steelers end up getting a, uh, a week one win uh, at home over the Niners, who uh, are currently favored um, by a little bit less than a field goal. Uh, all right, uh, Eric's next football-related question for us before we dive away from sports for a couple of questions. Who's the dark horse Super Bowl team in the AFC uh, or NFC, Donnie? What What are your thoughts? Who Who are the long-odds teams you're giving a shot at uh, to come away with the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the year? Yeah, I was looking at it, and I wanted to pick teams outside of the top eight, so I definitely think the Chargers are a good option outside of the top little group there and in terms of the team that maybe surprises people. The, the weapons are incredible. Obviously, Austin Eckler's going on going on TV shows saying why he should be the number one fantasy pick uh, in draft. So if Austin Eckler's confident in his abilities, I'm confident in their abilities. Obviously, uh, they score a lot. should be fun. NFC, I'm going to be honest, there's, there's not going to be a dark horse Super Bowl team out of this, the NFC this year. There's just not enough teams that are relevant out of the NFC for me to pick a dark horse team. It's not going to be the Lions. I'm not going to go out there and say, that, like, the Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl because it's not going to happen. We already know I, there's no dark horse there. If I was picking a dark horse team, it would probably end up being like whoever the third team out of the NFC East is, whether it's the Giants or Cowboys. And I really don't think the Giants or Cowboys are winning the Super Bowl this year. And my dark horse pick, Chargers, I got nothing for you at the NFC. Sorry, that's a cop out, but I got nothing. No, I'm actually right there with you in the NFC. I, I just don't see the team that is the dark horse in the NFC. So uh, AFC, I'll give you another answer besides the Chargers. I'll say the Miami Dolphins, a team that I'm low on. I, I do not think they uh, personally will make the playoffs, but I think they have a high ceiling because they can just be fun and Tyree Kill can just get wide open at the moment's notice. And if he's not open, guess what? Jalen Waddle's wide open. So I think that the Dolphins have some fun potential where, you know, you never know. They were fun for a time uh, out there with Tua. So uh, if he stays healthy maybe they uh fire up some magic uh you never know but um that's why they're a dark horse we're, we're not exactly uh, outright picking them but uh they have a chance uh to get it done in the right situation so um that's what we got for eric's football questions let's move on to eric's fun questions for the podcast he says i need to hear ryan's opinion of french onion soup or i'll no longer send questions to the podcast so Eric asked this last week, and I had a boring opinion of French onion soup, but he asked it again, so I'm going to share it for you live on the podcast here, Eric. Hope you get really excited because my opinion of French onion soup is that I've probably had it maybe once or twice, and it was incredibly forgettable. That's why I can't remember if I only had it once or twice. I have no idea. It sounds familiar. I've probably had it, but it was such an unfor it was such a forgettable experience, excuse me, that I have no idea. I think It was okay, I guess. It wasn't so bad that I'll I refused to ever have it again, but I'm certainly not rushing to, to go re order it so there you go there's my boring opinion of french onion soup they asked twice to hear about i hope you enjoyed it yeah i mean that's good enough for me obviously he, he made sure that he he wanted the answer he was he was desperate to have the answer he, he texted me today about it saying make sure the french onion soup gets uh, french onion soup question gets in the podcast so it's here Cut. it made it it's we did it Yep, made, made the cut, and that's a, that's enough uh, airtime for French Onion Soup uh, on the podcast. I feel like my grandpa will really like that one. Uh, hopefully he does. Uh, all right, now, last one is a funny one from Eric. Uh, changing the tone a little bit here. He says, what's a non-water liquid you'd most like to bathe in? He says, full body and hair, I'm hearing. I guess he's, like, asking sources for, for non-liquid water or non-water liquid, excuse me, that we'd like to bathe in. I mean, Donnie, I, you got to share your answer first. What, what are you thinking here? What What is a non-water liquid that 
you would be willing to bathe in uh, in a hypothetical situation when you get asked on a podcast? Yeah, I had to look into this. I did some research and the only thing I could come up with that had some sort of like health benefits would be like mud. Uh, there are definitely people that do this in, in other uh, other worlds, other cultures, and it is good for your skin. Apparently, you're one with nature. Uh, so I would say, like after after a nice a nice rain or something, I'm bathing in mud, and that's just that's just that's my answer. That's my pick. I I was like, you can't pick anything like like fruity. You can't pick any drinks or anything. You can't pick any like it, it's gonna be so sticky and gross that you'll never get over that. I I think you know I I could buy into the 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 tribal feeling, and I'm gonna go bathe in some mud. And I'm gonna have a good time doing it. Yeah, uh, that's a good answer. I was thinking lemonade, and then you said no drinks, and lemonade is half water anyways, so, like, I don't know. It'd be so sticky. Why would you even want that? That'd be gross. I I don't want anything. I don't want a non-water liquid to bathe in. I just want to bathe in water. It seems really simple to me, Donnie. I mean, it is, it's the most simple thing you can do because water is the most simple thing you can ever, ever drink. So, uh, yeah, obviously Eric really, he, he, he stretched out his brain for this one. This is, this is a really deep, deep in the Eric Jensen brain question. You did. We need Eric's answer on this one. You, you got to text us what, what you're thinking here, Eric. Cause I mean, you kind of stumped me on this one, but it's a good answer from Donnie. So I don't feel too bad about it because, uh, cause Donnie contributed, uh, to the podcast on that one. So interesting question. We, we can rely on Eric to ask us, uh, interesting questions. Uh, and, and we gave us a little bit of football too. So we're definitely, uh, all good with it, but, uh, appreciate the questions from our guy, Eric, check out the end zone pod as well. It's football season. So, uh, make sure you show some love to, to our guy, Eric. Um, I'm sure Donnie and I will be featured on the show, uh, at some point here in the new future near future uh as well all right let's bounce around again though uh more questions uh this one comes from our friend sam at sam underscore godsy 21 uh on instagram some college football thoughts and then we'll finish with some football thoughts from sam he says will travis hunter be a heisman candidate this is a fun one we started our podcast talking about that crazy game between colorado and tcu two-way player here travis hunter had a nice interception playing corner at over 100 yards receiving certainly has some buzz for heisman potential here uh how much are you buying it donnie do you think that hunter is a uh, Heisman candidate yeah I think he's a Heisman candidate but I it's a quarterback award in my eyes at least uh, 98% of the time and it does feel like Caleb Williams is still heavy 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 favorite and will be the heavy heavy favorite regardless of what happens this year because he's just he's like a near generational prospect but I will say Travis Hunter is the perfect like token player they add into the Heisman voting at the end like he's a top four candidate because he's a non-quarterback especially because he's playing both sides of the field but uh, I just I'm a little concerned maybe about Travis Hunter how many snaps he got uh, if you're yeah. playing 130 snaps every game you're not making it a full season like there's a reason players don't play both sides of the ball it's because they can't do it your body will not hold up so I'm really curious to see how Coach Prime uses him. I'm not going to call him a Heisman candidate yet, but he could, if he holds up, if we lay off the 130 snaps a game, because I don't want him playing 1,500 snaps in the season. It doesn't make any sense. That's really dangerous. I'll buy in very, very cautiously at this point. Yeah, I think the the name that comes to mind for me here has got to come to Charles Woodson. Like, you need that kind of a season, that kind of magic from Travis Hunter. There is potential there. If he gets a pick six against Caleb Williams that wins the game, okay, immediately that buzz is going to continue to grow. Uh, we'll see if that happens in, in a couple of weeks here. Uh, really, it's going to kind of come down to touchdowns, though. I think for a player at that position, you know, playing both sides, uh, you need some punt returns, you need some kick returns, you need some pick sixes, a fumble return, maybe a couple receiving touchdowns. Like, you need to just kind of mix it up a, a little bit um, so that way 
way the, the people at home are entertained and oh look what Travis Hunter did this week um, but uh, Colorado is going to need to keep winning uh, as well so it's definitely an uphill battle but it's fun that that's even a conversation like you said Donnie it's it's nice that we have some other guy uh, kind of in the mix so at this point in time yeah I think he's a candidate do I think he'll end up getting invited to New York at the end of the season probably not but um, that's just where things stand at this point in time like I said we'll revisit it if he gets a game-winning pick six against Caleb Williams then bang the answer is yes uh, no doubt about that all right Sam's next question well I will have a new offensive coordinator next year you probably could have asked me this the last like 10 years and the answer would be no and I still think the answer is no the only way it's not no is if Kirk Ferentz says this is it for me and Brian Ferentz is now the head coach so they are forced to get a new offensive coordinator it's probably not going to happen uh that's just uh that's just my gut I know that he's got that contract clause about 25 points per game and uh that's all funny and all and it's funny they scored 24 in their first game uh just short uh against a you know non-conference opponent but um yeah my gut says probably not that's just how uh how it works uh with Iowa Hawkeye football so um that's kind of my gut on that anything to add Donnie no, it's got to be tough sitting there knowing that, that you've got like the family thing going on. It's just a disaster. That should never happen. No, nobody should ever allow that to happen. If a coach ever says, hey, I'm hiring my kid. Like we get, we no, stop it. No, stop. Relax. Bad idea. Yep. yep. It's not just Iowa football, Iowa basketball, Iowa men's basketball, Iowa women's basketball, Iowa wrestling. It's all a family business. It doesn't matter. Football is very much included, but it's, it's just Iowa athletics in a nutshell. So probably not. I'd be surprised, even though I'd love it. So <laughs> sad trombone for for Sam on that one, fellow uh, Hawkeye with me on that one. Uh, next question from Sam. What will fix uh, for Clemson uh, this season? Something isn't working, basically. You know, yeah, it was tough sledding. We, we touched on the Clemson game a little bit earlier. Uh, really the quarterback. That's really what stands out for me here, though. Like, uh, you know, they still got some playmakers on defense. I know it wasn't perfect in this game against Duke with, with some of the long runs for, for the quarterback, for Duke and whatnot. But um, I feel like it's, it's the quarterback. Kate Klubnik really just did not come to play uh, against Duke. And obviously this is coming after a year where, again, DJ Uilanga had to transfer away and his only offer was Oregon State. Like, Clearly, it wasn't all that great uh, for Clemson last year. So um, I think the fix has got to come at the quarterback position because this is something we've grown to be Clemson as national title contenders when they get elite play with Watson and Lawrence. And uh, that's obviously no longer the case. So I don't think that the rest of the team is all of a sudden complete trash. I think really it just kind of comes down to some weak quarterback play. At least that's what I saw in week one against Duke. Yeah, I mean, just uh, we just ought to remember here, uh, Dabo Sweeney last year said that NIL, uh, God's name, image, and likeness, he's not a big NIL uh, money fan. He's more of a, a passion fan. I think it just comes with making Clemson an NIL machine, and it's just it doesn't seem like that's happening. It doesn't seem like that's something that Dabo's interested in. And, and NIL runs college football at this point. Not really a question there. Clemson, you would have anticipated Clemson after what they've dealt with with DJU, that they would have gone out and got uh, the best of the best, top-notch, uh, no doubt about it. I'm not necessarily going to say Kate Klubnick stinks, uh, but it was just like a cavalcade of errors from not only Klubnick, but just the entire team felt like they were a little bit off. Um, it, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see if Dabo can fix this because I don't think we would have anticipated seeing Clemson potentially drop out of the top 25 at all this year. I would have anticipated with the ACC, fairly easy schedule, kind of gets to just cruise through and, and beat up on whoever they want. Obviously, they're, they're playing they're playing dummies all year outside of Florida State. Uh, it's it's really surprising to me to see just how bad they lost and to see like they've been a disaster since it's been a couple of years now. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, agree with, uh, with that completely. Uh, and yeah, like I said, I mean, I still feel like they got NFL talent there. It's just, they've gotten really, really weak quarterback play. Um, so that's what they got to fix. I mean, uh, you would think that this would be a team that would just load up their quarterback roster, getting transfers left and right. Um, but you know, for whatever reason, it's been kind of tough sledding for them the last two years. Um, at least just through one game, you know, I don't want to kill Kate Klubnik too much, but definitely looked pretty rough in, in that opener uh, against Duke. All right. Next question from Sam. Top five Heisman candidates following week one. Easiest way to go about this. Let's look at the odds. Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Jordan Travis, J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix. Probably your your top five. Could also throw in guys like Sam Hartman, Quinn Ewers uh, in kind of that mix for that fifth spot. I think there's some other guys outside of the top five that stand out to me, Donnie. But first, anyone for you um, that you would either look to add or or touch on um, that are listed in that top five? Yeah, it was interesting to see. Marvin Harrison Jr. came into the year with pretty high odds, and they kind of fell off after a, a mediocre game one. He was hurt a little bit throughout the game. Um, you know, you kind of got a stat pad there, so that would have been one of the th- one of the names that I would have considered. Also, Blake Corum. Uh, if Michigan is good, yeah. Blake Corum will have to be good. It just feels like I- I'm not going to buy into JJ McCarthy. There was a lot of hype around JJ McCarthy after you know what whatever. I don't care. Like I, it's going to come down to Blake Corum. Going to come down to the running game. It's Michigan. You're going to have to have Blake Corum carrying if they want to be as successful. So I think that those are like really dark horse guys that like didn't get as much love obviously quarterback award uh but you have to give some respect to the non-quarterbacks just as like outsider uh, outlier potential like dark horse candidates that could end up doing something down the stretch um not yet but i would definitely say uh you know you got to pick quarterbacks at this point if you're picking the top five i want to i want to talk about non-quarterbacks maybe we have somebody that can make uh, some noise outside of that group yeah, I uh, I agree with that. Uh, kind of on your note, you know, quarterback award. I think the one name that stands out for me, not in that top five, that maybe I would throw in that category would be Jalen Milrow, Alabama's quarterback. Definitely more of a rushing quarterback. Looked pretty good in a, you know, kind of a nothing week one game for, for Alabama. But obviously, if you're the Alabama quarterback and you're making some plays happen, uh, I'm not saying you're Bryce Young, but uh, I'm saying you at least have a chance to, you know, kind of be in that mix. So um, I think that Milrow stands out to me um, as a potential guy. And then Joe Milton, the third for Tennessee and Dylan Gabriel for Oklahoma, a couple other quarterbacks that, uh, you know, have some potential, I think. Um, Probably would have said Jaden Daniels before uh, week one. I know he played good in week one, but kind of a tough loss for LSU. We know how a couple losses can really impact, you know, your Heisman chances. So um, definitely think there's a couple other quarterbacks in the mix. And then Drake May, I think that's probably the other name that um, should be in that mix that is kind of just on the outside looking in um, for North Carolina. Obviously looks to be, you know, a top pick in the NFL draft. Probably more of an NFL draft prospect than a Heisman candidate, but thought it was at least worth mentioning his name. Uh, in this discussion. Uh, Glad that Sam brought that one up. Um, definitely going to be a lot of Heisman chat uh, throughout the year. But nevertheless, I mean, it'll be fun. Someone's got to knock off Caleb Williams. I mean, this guy is obviously the defending champ, and uh, we know that only Archie Griffin uh, has won the Heisman Trophy twice um, during their college career. So um, it'll be really interesting, again, to follow uh, how Caleb Williams continues to do throughout this season. All right, let's wrap up Sam's question, his last one for us. Who is your Super Bowl champ? Who do they play? What's the score? All the details he wants to know, Donnie. Tell me about the Super Bowl in this upcoming February. What's your prediction? I don't want to be boring and I don't want to give you Chiefs Eagles. So I'm going to actually go off the board this year usually. And you can, you can ask RK. I, I'm, I'm kind of chalk on these things. Like I pick, For sure. I pick the top dog most, most of the year. I'm actually going to go off the board just slightly. I think the 49ers are going to beat the Buffalo Bills. It's going to be a close defensive slog. I would assume of a Super Bowl, which is not necessarily what we would have expected out of those, uh, those teams. Maybe the 49ers, you would expect it because they have a great defense. But uh, I, I think that this is the year where we see some, some parody. We see some magic happen. Patrick Mahomes not making the Super Bowl would be, 
be surprising to anybody. I think at this point, we've kind of become accustomed to that. Um, and again, on the Eagles side, I only think it's the Eagles or Niners out of the NFC. We, we just touched on this a second ago. Uh, so that's that's the hard part. It's one of those teams at the NFC. Almost assuredly for me, I would I would put copious amounts of money on that uh, as a just an NFL fan in general. But uh, that, that's mine. I'm going to go with something a little bit off the board. Obviously, it's it's pretty it's pretty high up there on the on the possibilities, but not exactly what I would have picked in previous years. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree with you. It's it, I feel like the NFC especially is just really hard to you know convince myself otherwise if it's not Philadelphia or San Francisco. So um, I will pick the Eagles to to get back there. Even though it's funny that I think that you know maybe they would not even win the division just given how things have gone in the NFC in the past. But uh, Super Bowl champ, I'm gonna take the Chiefs again. I'm just gonna take Chiefs over the Eagles. The same thing that happened last year, like same score too. Oh, like, yeah. let's, just, let's just run it back. Uh, <laughs> uh, just the most boring pick you could possibly give for Sam here. Uh, I'm gonna say the Super Bowl is the exact exact same thing that happened a year ago heartbreaking loss for the eagles same holding penalty against james bradbury at the end of the game it's just gonna be the exact same thing that's my pick because that's all i got i don't have a better idea for you uh in terms of a realistic super bowl pick uh at this point it's hard to go against pat mahomes when he's with andy Reid. Uh, i know travis kelsey seems to be injured but i'm not too concerned i mean it's just hard for me to go against you know some of those top dogs so it's not gonna happen but i'm going with the exact same thing that happened one year ago chiefs over the birds I tried, Sam. I tried. I really sure. did. I I went totally <laughs> off the board for this one. This is this is crazy for me. So just keep that in mind, Sam. I tried my best. We uh we kind of flipped the uh roles there, as Donnie said. Usually, usually Donnie's nailing picks by picking the Tampa Bay Lightning to, to win it all. And uh here we are, Donnie going going off the board a little bit. But good questions from Sam. Uh definitely let me know your Super Bowl pick. Uh would love to hear it. I know Sam's got a a podcast of his own going on this week. So I'm definitely excited to to check that one out too. Uh, exciting time exciting time in, in the world of sports. So um, with that though, we've reached the end of the podcast. It's been a long one. So the real ones that have actually listened to all of our football analysis and everything, you guys are elite, but Kieran and Phil, they just arrived and they want us to talk about uh, leases here. So let's get into it. End of the podcast, end of the spot for Kieran and Phil, as I mentioned, here we go. We've got a little, little backstory too. So let's, uh, let's set the tone here before we get into it in Boston, which is where Kieran and Phil live for, for those not familiar, good city in Massachusetts. Most leases begin on September 1st, which means that during the last week of August, it's very common to find furniture, decorations, random miscellaneous household items on the street for free. So the theme of the question here, what are your top tier used items you'd love to pick up for free on the street? And also what are the bottom tier items you'd never even consider taking? I've got a little backstory myself, but Donnie, I'll let you go ahead and share your list here first. Yeah, I was thinking about this, and I had to think really, really closely because there are definitely items that you don't want to take. There, there are a hundred percent furniture items that you you don't want to have. So I'm going to start off with the bottom tier items. There was a there was a couch that went viral on on social media a couple months ago, and I learned all about why you shouldn't take couches because they're likely infested with something if they've been sitting on the streets or somebody's throwing them out. Uh, so I, I'm not going to take a couch. I'm not going to take any any chairs or anything that have like significant upholstery uh, work to be done or or they don't look uh, immaculate, clean, and everything along those lines. I feel like that is a, about the least thing. And I also say. Uh, I'm not a really, I don't think it's a good idea to like take tech. Like if you see a TV on the side of the street, there's almost guaranteed it doesn't work. Like nobody's just tossing a TV out. Electronics cost money. Uh, nobody's throwing that out. If somebody's throwing that out, uh, they're an idiot. They're a moron. Um, and also I would say any appliances, like food appliances specifically, I don't even want to like, I think it kind of just goes back to like the, if, if you would take it from, if you would buy it from like a Goodwill or something, I'm not buying an appliance from a Goodwill. I'm not buying like a toaster or something like that seems a little bit gross to me. Cause you don't know what those people were doing with that toaster. You don't know what they were, they were making inside that toaster or whatever appliance that that was. So my bottom tier is definitely like things that, that, could go horribly wrong if you bring them into your house and all of a sudden you've got cockroaches. Uh, but I would say the top tier, like 
I feel like books uh, should be uh, pretty pretty easy there. If you're at, at all into building like a library, have a little bookcase, you want to have these things. I'm sure you can find some really, really nice books because books are cheap. Um, for some people, 10, 15, 20 bucks, and they don't just don't want to take them because they're semi-heavy. I would also say like art, uh, whether it's it's not probably not going to be high class art that you're finding, uh, but there could be some cool pieces that you could find for an apartment, something along those lines. I think that is a, a very fair thought there. And I will also say if there is one item of furniture that you can take from somebody, I think like an office chair or something along those lines is a fair thing to take because you would assume that the people are oh, we're keeping the office chair at least a little bit clean because uh, most people use their desks, office chairs very frequently, uh, either for work, school, stuff like that. Uh, so I would say if there's anything that I would take, uh, something actually that I did take from uh, a closing store is the office chair that I'm sitting on now. Uh, worked out great. No problems there. But uh, definitely uh, there's a lot of items I would stay away. I think it, the safe things like books, uh, small stuff, maybe like music CDs, if you're into those things, um, just just little things, stuff like that, paintings, uh, any small art, cheap art. I think that's probably the, the top tier, the most easily applicable for said situation. Yeah, good uh, good answers from you on that. We're going to have a little overlap, but I got to share some backstory. So I lived in Iowa City, college town, very, very prevalent for this situation. Every summer, you got everybody moving out, changing places, stuff on the side of the street. Now, one year I was in Iowa City, I had a roommate, uh, my friend Bryce, and he found this uh, little like uh, little decor thing you can put up. And it was basically like the history of the Iowa Hawkeyes logo. So it was like, here's our logo in like 1910. And here's our logo in 1980. And it just like, it was just like through the time changing logos, found it on the side of the street, picked it up, put it in our apartment for an entire year. So I do have some previous experience, even though it was a roommate, it was in my apartment with me. So it was, a, it was an item we picked up on the side of the street. It was just kind of like a, you know, cool little thing we, we threw up on the wall and call it good. So that was cool. Personal experience. Now I will say my top tier of items that I would find on the street. Agree with Donnie big time on the chair. You can definitely find some good, uh, good chairs out there on the side of the street. That's a, that's a good item. And then my other one would be a little coffee table. I feel like sometimes you can, you know, maybe find a little table that, you know, kind of looks nice in the middle of your living room. You can put some, you know, doesn't matter. There, there's already been beverages on there and, you you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, very low stress, but uh, you know, sometimes they're broken. I get that. But sometimes once in a while, I feel like maybe you can find like a little, you know, small coffee table uh, that you can, you know, pick up and use it uh, on your own. And it was just on the side of the street. So that's my top tier of items. Donnie, let's go over the bottom tier items now. Items you would never consider taking on the side of the street. What do you got? Yeah, outside, I just I, I think the, the only the biggest thing is just like, don't take appliances. That's the only thing. Don't take okay. TVs. Don't take tech. That's all I've got for you. I really just like, uh, there's a lot of stuff like uh, stuff that gets thrown out. Like I really just like, don't, I don't want to take anything too big. I don't want to take anything too crazy. I don't want to take couches. Like I said, uh, but I, I think appliances scare me. You don't, you don't know what type of creations like RK. I don't know what you're cooking in your, in your, in your air fryer or whatever, but I wouldn't take your air fryer. If it was just sitting there on the side of the road. That just sounds so, so unhealthy. So nasty. Yeah, definitely a red flag. Definitely a red flag. Agree with you on that one. Now, my story for bottom tier is one time, also in Iowa City, I was I was outside by my dumpster, you know, moving all my stuff out and whatnot. And there was just like an entire array of dishes. There was like cups and forks and plates. And it wasn't even in the dumpster. It was sitting beside the dumpster. I was. It was like someone like set up an entire Thanksgiving meal uh, for somebody and it was just sitting by the side of the dumpster. I was like, and I, my reaction was just like, I am not picking this up. So I do have some prior experience with, con with actively not picking something up that was on the side of the street. But what I will add to you, I feel like this is a home run hit. It's food. If someone's throwing out food, don't pick it up and eat it. That's just my general rule of thumb. I'm not a raccoon. So I feel like that's a home run hit for bottom tier of items that I would never consider taking way below appliances, Donnie, not even close.
Yeah, you, I, you know, I'm learning for the first time that you're not a raccoon. This is the first time <laughs> I'm not. I, I, I was almost sure that I was almost sure that you were a raccoon, but yeah, no. If you're taking food, you're just you're a cretin of a human being. You're you're scary. Yeah, you're dude. different. Stop that, please. I see videos sometimes of people like dumpster diving for food and stuff. If you want to do it, if you want to risk it, so be it. But there's reason. Like obviously, there's a lot of food waste in this world, but not on the side of a road outside of like a like a. There's no chance that a, a broke college student or something along those lines is throwing out food that they that they just wasted. Like it's not happening. It's not a realistic option. Yeah, that's that's it. That's clearly in a tier of its own, and that's clearly the bottom tier for me. So no questions asked. Even below the dishes that I did not pick up, I'm not getting your food either. So there you go. Good question though. Here in Phil, timely question. Thought it was strong. Like I said, brought me back to uh, to Iowa City there for a little bit. So appreciate that one. Been a good podcast. It's been a long podcast, which felt good, Donnie. I feel like we're we're kind of through the summer. We had some we had a little, some lulls in there. We're kind of back in the groove of uh you know our scheduling for podcasts. Uh, we got Sheck West coming on next week, of course. Can't forget to shout out that but it's been a fun podcast but i'll pass it over to you here to wrap us up absolutely it is a fun season next week we should have a lot to talk about this weekend in college football we get away from the humpty dumpty games a little bit so there should be some more competitive football there on top of obviously the nfl starting so next week's podcast should be a banger uh this week's podcast was also a banger we had a lot of information to break down thank you to all of the question askers obviously eric sam and kira slash phil for the wonderful wonderful content questions uh we couldn't do it without you the podcast is great because of all the questions that we have and because of all the listener engagement. So thank you for that. Uh, We will talk to you all again next week. Peace, everybody. Peace. Life couldn't get better.